Hello and welcome to the Recreation to Recreation podcast, the show where we explore the stories of people who have turned the activity that they love into positive change for our world. My name is Jen, and I'll be your sidekick on this adventure as we treasure hunt for gems of insight and wisdom while exploring the planet with our inspiring guests. For today's adventure, we're heading to New Zealand with Liarna to explore her world of horticulture, mental health, and nurturing growth. Hi, Liarna. Kia ora. Good morning, Jen. <laughs> How are you today? I am wonderful. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited to create this episode together. And before we get rolling, I wonder if you can just tell us where you are and what it's like there. You know, get us situated in your world. I can most definitely do that. So it is a lovely, sunny morning here. I think we are about nine or 10 days out of summer for us. Um, So I'm sitting in my office, which looks out to the neighboring dairy farm, which is beautiful and green and lush. And there's some cows in the distance. And then there's some trees. And then if I stood on the roof, I could probably see the ocean. Hmm. It's a lovely day here today. Beautiful. It's very opposite of what I'm looking out at right now as we shift from fall to winter. It is sheet rain and maybe one degree. So yeah, we're living different lives at the moment. (laughs) Yeah, We're getting into our nice warm time of the year. Mm. I just think that's so cool, isn't it? It is. Sitting, having this conversation, living in totally different seasons. So neat. So now... Before we get into the sort of chunky bits of the interview, I would love to ask you these weird and wonderful questions. I've been really excited about it. I hope you are too. Definitely. (laughs) First, what do you do when food falls on the floor? Pick it up. Depends on whether it's eaten again or whether it's just picked up and put in the bin, composted. But generally, we have food spills at the table And so if someone's walking to the table and drops their food all over the floor, it's like quick five second roll, scoop it all up again. You'll be sweet. Carpet's clean. But then we have to then clean the carpet. But, you know, and they'll be fine. You know, put a bit more cheese on top. You'll be sweet. (laughs) But if you drop it outside, yeah, probably not. Put it in the compost. I wonder if this five second rule is universal. Yeah. So quick, quick. It's all good. Yep. <laughs> little little spit shine and <laughs> yeah, <it'll be> sweet. <laughs> Amazing. So what kind of tree would you be and why? I would be a Bahudakawa tree. Ooh. Because so that's the New Zealand Christmas tree. And a place where that we travel to, which is my husband's hometown, is called Opotiki. And they're are these beautiful, beautiful old Puhutakawas that go over the road. And so it's like you're driving through a tunnel of trees. And then in Christmas time, they have beautiful red flowers. My son has been to see one of the biggest Puhutakawas, which is actually just like in the middle of suburbia, and they just sort of fenced off this section. But they're great climbing trees as well. Yeah, they're just beautiful trees and they just have so much heritage and deep rooted and 
you know, even if they fall over, they seem to like manage to get some roots down and keep going. I feel like your Christmas trees are naturally decorated. You don't really need to add much. We often pick some of the flowers. If we can time it right, you'll pick some of the flowers and you use them as like Christmas table decorations. So beautiful. So quick question, just because obviously here people are cutting down trees and putting them in their houses. Would you do the same there with those? You don't cut them down. No, That's a no-no. No, we just still, our Christmas trees are still like yours. We just use like pine trees that um, grow in for that, that purpose. Or you have a, your fake Christmas tree. Yeah, absolutely. So why are they known as the New Zealand Christmas tree? Because they put on a show. I love that so much. They put on the beautiful red show and you can see it in, from a distance. You know, you can see looking at native bush and you can see, oh, look, the Pahutakawas are on display. They're putting their show on. So all throughout the summer, because it's all like weather dependent, you'll get some that flower early and some that flower later. And it's just, especially because we do quite a bit of driving, it's nice to see, oh, look, they've come along further this this week. And yeah, it's just, it's always nice to see the changing landscape. Definitely going to Google that as soon as we're off this call. <laughs> So thank you so much. What a great answer. So resilient, but also beautiful. Yeah, sounds like you. Perfect. Great. <laughs> what is the least important thing that is very important to you right now? Oh, the least important thing that is very important to me right now. Mm. Eating dinner. Mm. Probably if I had to pick something because, you know, it's important to eat. But sometimes I don't really feel like it. I will eat something, but not a huge dinner. Especially if I'm training, I don't eat dinner. It's important to eat. And I'll still eat plenty during the day. But by the time it comes around to dinner, I might, might be like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, feed the kids and then. And we normally all eat together, but I probably won't eat until after training. And then I might be like, mm, yeah, I'm good. I'm done. I and then so I'll always sit at the table when, with everyone. But yeah, I got, I've got preteen and teenage boys and so they seem to like eat a lot so I'm quite happy for them to eat <laughs> I'll just be a witness <laughs> Pretty much. I love that yeah and by training you mean exercising like, exercising yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I do a, a self-defense form of martial arts and so that's in the evenings and always comprises a workout and I found that if I ate too much beforehand I didn't feel that wonderful yeah, absolutely. I'm with you on that one. I don't really like to eat before I work out either. I just find I have more energy. Yeah. Totally. And then I get really hungry when I'm done. <laughs> and then I go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. So this is me. I have a little bit. Then I'll go to sleep and I'll, then I'll be hungry for breakfast. Perfect. On to our next weird and wonderful question. Very different. Do you consider eyebrows to be facial hair? Yes, I would think so. Yeah, no, I... I I, I, I wouldn't know what else they would be if they weren't facial hair. They have their own category of eyebrows. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> permanent facial hair. Yeah. We have like a permanent and a temporary category. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a permanent facial hair. I like that one. Yeah. Perfect. If you could please imitate a dinosaur of your choice. Oh, gosh. I think it would sound like a donkey. Um <laughs> I should be good at this because I've got three dinosaur-loving children. How's that sound? That's actually quite scary. 
I think I would have gone for like more of a cartoony dinosaur, but I really appreciate how you committed to the role. <laughs> well, I think my children would be disappointed otherwise. I love that so much. So quick query, what kind of dinosaur was that? I was going with a raptor. I think that raptors communicated with each other. So I was sort of like talking to another raptor as if you were a raptor. Amazing. Raptors were really intelligent, you see. Yes, absolutely. They seem terrifying, but also very, very cool. I appreciate that. I think it also helps that you're like active mom to young children right now, young (laughs) preteen, because you're you're in it. (laughs) Totally. You just like slipped into that like it was nothing. (laughs) Well, we're we're playing dinosaurs now. Okay. All right. Let's get my dinosaur on. Welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Okay. One more question and then we're going to get into all this amazing exploration that I want to do together. But this is a very important question because I'm not really sure I know the answer. Which side of the armrest is really yours at a movie theater? Wow. The side closest to you. So you sort of have to share. But I'm like, aren't both sides this like close? I don't yeah, I know. But like, you just have to share. Like, you just have to touch someone else's arm. Yeah. And do you just agree that you go forward, I'll go back? Something like that. It just sort of works out. <laughs> oh, I love these questions. They never fail to. It, it just works out. It just all works out. Isn't that just a great rule for life? Totally. Just trust that it's all going to work out. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to enjoy the movie. So just, you know, chill out, get comfortable. You know, Use the armrest. Don't. Doesn't matter. Exactly. Totally. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Well, thank you for humoring me through all of those My and favorite. just really showing up entirely. So I really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> so when I start these interviews, I really like to have a little bit of an origin story. So I like to go back where did you grow up? What was it like being you? And were you passionate about the things that you're passionate about now when you were younger? I was born in a place called Gisborne in New Zealand. I lived there for quite a few years and my parents separated. I had an opportunity to go over to the Cook Islands with my mom and sister and my mum taught there. So that was quite a fun experience, living on a tropical island and going to school on a tropical island. Then that's when my mum met my stepfather. Not long after that, we moved to Australia. I was in Australia until I was about 13 or 14, I think. You know, Then we came back to New Zealand, and a love of horticulture probably started with my grandfather because they had a farm up the coast a place called Tolliga Bay on the east coast of the North Island. And he had this magnificent garden, half a hectare or more. Mm. And I used to love it. He used to grow so many different varieties of potatoes. Like <laughs> I love potatoes. <laughs> I, can, I can look at a potato without thinking of him. Um, oh, that's so nice. And and carrots. So I remember sitting in in his veggie garden and pulling out carrots. <laughs> even though we probably weren't supposed to (laughs) because, you know, fresh carrots, you can't really beat them. Mm -hmm. So that's probably where it started. But I didn't really, when I left school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I went overseas. I went did an OE at 18 and part of that I ended up over in Canada, spent some time with 
my aunt and uncle and their neighbours owned green houses, big glass houses, and I got a tour around one of the glass houses. And I think that's pretty much when I thought everyone needs to eat. This is a space I think I can be. Growing healthy food for people, we're going to need that. After that OEA, I came back to New Zealand and I went to university and I studied horticulture and business. Leaving that, I went out into the big wide world and started working in the horticultural industry. It's amazing. I think taking a year out after yes. school can be really beneficial if you can. And also if you then decide you don't necessarily want to go to school, that's okay too. It's just a really nice breathing space yeah. to really be a bit more intentional about that next stage of your life. And that's also when I met you. We have now known it each is. other for 20 years, which is wow. pretty wild <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because you came to the UK and did a little stint there working in a boarding school, right? That's, that's correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, was, that was a really eye-opening experience. A good positive one. Learned a lot about myself, challenged myself a bit more. And yet also another job where you're nurturing something, nurturing kids, because yeah. you had a pastoral role, right? Yeah, I did. I did. And yeah. I did enjoy that. I do like that space. Nurturing. I guess that's a really good word. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about um, what it's like being me, I don't really know what it's like for other people, but I have so many filing cabinets open at once, mm. like all over the show, trying to find things. Sometimes I forget what filing cabinet I put things in, but then other times it seems like, right, I've got it all in order and I can just go where I need to go and get it all sorted. And I just feel like I didn't realize that that's when I was talking to my husband because he can just focus on one thing at a time. I said to him, I, you know, I'm always thinking about a minimum five or six things at once. Mm. And he's like, really? <laughs> I mean, are we talking about both physical filing cabinets and filing and also medical no, filing cabinets. Filing, we're talking about, I just brain. want to clarify. <laughs> yeah, we're talking mental. I just have lots of lots and lots of things. Lots of tabs open. I guess that's probably the more modern tabs open rather than filing cabinets. I like both. Both works. And then that way you're talking across generations too, which is always yeah. nice. <laughs> Fully understood and heard yeah. by everybody listening. <laughs> I don't know. It is interesting to me in conversation with people when we talk about different ways of, of thinking and especially now that we're getting into conversations about neurodivergence. And I mean, we've known this for a long time that we, we are all uniquely experiencing the world around us through our own lens. And I think it's really fascinating, kind of like when you were talking to your husband about, I have all of these filing cabinets open. And I'm always thinking about maybe a minimum of five things. And he's kind of like, wait, what? I actually had a conversation with someone about visualization visualize an apple and they were like what and yeah. i said well just just close your eyes and you know can you picture an apple and they were like no it's just blank and that was like a good probably 10 years ago i've come a long way since then about really trying to understand how different we all are and to celebrate that difference and yeah. and also stepping into spaces uh, where you might be teaching or leading, really understanding that we all learn in our own way and that when we're delivering information or we're even having a conversation with someone to be flexible and and also compassionate and to try to really understand 
what does that look like for the person I'm talking to? What does that look like for this diversity of people that are sitting in this group with me? If when I explain something, it doesn't land, it might not be that they're not interested. It's just that it didn't quite hit in the same way because of the way that I delivered it. Yes. We have three golden rules. And one of them is to be kind. Mm. Because you don't know how other people's day has gone or you don't know what other people's experiences have been. You don't know what's going on inside their head. The best way to start is to be kind. A hundred percent. We don't know unless we ask, I guess, start that conversation. But you're right, tailoring your teaching and what others need of you towards how they think is is an evolving process. Mm -hmm. Even in the asking of people, sometimes they can't actually articulate what they're feeling or what's been going on. And I love that that is your foundational rule is to be kind. I think that that is something that all of us can do. It's doable. Yeah. It's achievable. I just love that we're diving right into this. The other two that we call them our golden rules are try your best. It doesn't matter what other people's best is as long as you try your best and only you know what your best is and to tell the truth. People appreciate honesty and authenticity and you actually feel better if you are honest and tell the truth. Yeah, I think you've covered all the bases there. That's just a really beautiful foundation of operating in the world authentically. That's only going to serve them, you know, even though it it feels really challenging at times to to be honest. You know, we talk about little white lies or worrying about hurting someone's feelings, but disappointing someone now is far kinder than letting it go longer. The hurt only grows. So I think that that's something that's so important to be fostering in your children. That's beautiful. And in myself as well, reminding mm -hmm. myself that being kind to myself is part of being kind as well. Well, I was going to say, I think everything that you've said there is about self. You know, the way that we treat ourselves is how we treat other people, unless we're finding ourselves people-pleasing whilst mm -hmm. at the same time self-abandoning. And I think that these are really interesting concepts when we're talking about mental health, personal growth, that I'm really excited to explore a little bit more with you. We can definitely either just dive right into that, or we can maybe dive a little bit into horticulture first and follow that pathway, because there's so much there that I would love to know a little bit more. So we now know you have three kids, because we're yes. listening to this podcast so far. <laughs> but before that, let's go back to when you were talking about experience with the greenhouses in Canada, and you sort of thought, wow, okay, well, there's always going to be a demand for food. And then you decided to go to university. Yep. So I went off to university, and I studied a Bachelor of Applied Science. And the horticultural industry in New Zealand, currently, there's about $6 billion in annual sales, more than 40,000 jobs in the regions. I think something like 5,000 more or more growers, uh, commercial growers, you know, a big part of New Zealand's um, export and also you know, growing for our own consumption. And so the part of horticulture that the horticultural industry I'm in is um, kiwi fruit. So grow kiwi fruit in the Bay of Plenty and the and the Gisborne regions and also avocados here in Tipuke and in the Potski as well. 
just under 3,000 growers of kiwifruit in New Zealand. And there's about, I think about 14,000 hectares. Most of that comes from the Bay of Plenty. In the 2022 season, there was 160 million trays of kiwifruit sold and that equated to about 2.6 billion dollars so of the total horticulture export for new zealand kiwifruit represents 38 percent so it's quite substantial Mm -hmm. i'd love to know how you came to kiwifruit like how did that come about so my focus in kiwifruit came because when i left university i did work a little bit in apples and I did a holiday job working in a, a retail store that, and a consultancy business that's, that worked directly with growers. Mm-hmm. And then I got a job in a kiwifruit pack house for the season. That was fascinating. You know, you'd see the fruit come in in the bins and you'd scan them in off the trucks and then they'd go into the cool store and then they'd go onto the bin tip and then they'd go up the riser and over the grater and then they'd get labels stuck on them and then they'd go into the trays and strapped up and then off out the door into containers or onto trucks and onto ships and just that whole process was quite fascinating and then I stayed in the business and started working out in the orchard so yeah I could see the whole process from growing canes that then went on to produce shoots which then produced flowers which then you know grew into little fruitlets and then you mm-hmm. size them up fruit and then they were picked and then they went into the pack house and went through that whole process and so watching that process being part of that process was just so exciting I ended up continuing to work in the kiwifruit pack house and the kiwifruit business both in the orchard and in the pack house and that's where I met my husband in 2010 we had what was called PSA which is Pseudomonas syringae actinidia which is a a disease that only affects kiwifruit being the actinidia Basically, the vines just died. So you could go out and see the orchard one morning and the next morning they'd all be dead. It pretty much wiped out one variety of kiwifruit. And we were incredibly fortunate. The kiwifruit industry in New Zealand had another variety that was a trial variety. Zespri, who is the marketer of all kiwifruit grown in New Zealand had developed this variety and owned the plant variety rights. And basically this variety was resilient and way more tolerant to PSA than the other variety that we had, which was Hort 16A. And so through over a number of years, we transitioned relatively quickly to start with because obviously everything was dead. Mm -hmm. We transitioned to this new variety, which is even more delicious. They've got health claims out there around one gold kiwi fruit is all your vitamin C for the day. And and it's pretty hard to make a health claim in Europe without having the proof of it. And so basically they worked hard and it's a lot of stuff that Zespri does for the brand overseas for New Zealand growers and stuff. Mm -hmm. This is my interpretation of it anyway, but it's a single point of entry structure. So one exporter of kiwifruit grown in New Zealand, all kiwifruit grown in New Zealand that is not sold in New Zealand or Australia has to be sold through Zespri. And I think they sell to say 50 countries throughout the world. It's quite a well-recognized fruit brand. Mm. It's a growing market in North America. Have you eaten much kiwifruit? I have, but I think I ate a lot more of it in the UK than I have here. Zespri kiwifruit or just 
I don't know if I ever, for, specifically for kiwi fruit, I'm not sure I ever noticed. But having just listened to you talk about from vine to being packaged instead of the trucks, I don't think I would ever look at fruit the same way again. I'm really into sustainability. I like to learn where my food comes from. So this kind of information is really important to me. I also vegetarians and I like to eat a lot of fruit and veggies. So I can imagine that being able to witness that whole production from growing to seeing it being shipped out would be like being a proud parent. <laughs> so I'm just sending my my little kiwis off into yeah. the world to be consumed at the other yeah. end, but to deliver vitamin C to the population. Isn't it? It's just a, a delicious way to get your vitamin C. Yeah, so cool. We had um, bought John's family's orchard, which was in the Portuguese, and started with that one. And then we also bought an orchard in Gisborne, and then we bought some bare land and developed a couple of other orchards in Gisborne as well. When you talk about the whole process from the orchard through, so then when we had our first crop on these orchards that we had developed from bare land, that was pretty impressive, pretty mm-hmm. exciting, seeing that it had gone from bare land and then we planted the plants and then grew them and they went on to produce a crop and picking the first crop was so exciting and like you say it's just like sending them off into the world just a piece of delicious i really do enjoy eating kiwi fruit as well well you're in the right business pal (laughs) we all eat plenty of kiwi fruit so that's um, my vitamin c must be my top notch as you said to grow completely from scratch it's a lot of work it's a lot of investment as well. Mm. Um, you know, there's lots of ups and downs and weather is not always your friend. We've had some floods and we've had some frosts and we've had some not the best events, but you just have to make do. And as you say, have told me many times before, what will be will be and mm. it will unfold as it, it is meant to. And I remind myself as that as often as possible because yeah. then I'm able to find the opportunities. Because otherwise I would be blinded by all the negativity, I think. Thank you for for saying that. I think that it's something that has proven to be very useful in my life in the last couple of years. I feel like my life experience of things previous to that would have been very different had I had that perspective (laughs) rather than, I don't know, navigating chaos. I think that having these foundational beliefs that, as you said, they kind of allow us to be a little more supple, flexible, present to the possibility that obstacles are maybe opportunities instead of challenging us and sending us trials. Instead, actually, are they invitations for us to get innovative and slow down and be present to maybe there's need for change here. Maybe there's need for me to look at this a different way. And I think that's something that we for sure share has certainly been very helpful for me as I've navigated my own versions of those ups and downs. (laughs) Yeah. Weathering the the storms. That is just what life is all about. I'm also going to just bring up here because I read about it. We've talked about it before. You also have avocado orchards. So I'm a massive avocado fan, fangirl over here, uh, super into avocados. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. They're so good for you. I love a guacamole. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I had some for lunch yesterday. Yeah. And then, you know, avocado chocolate mousse, like 
It is. This is a very versatile fruit. Well, there would be avocado on toast for mm-hmm. at least probably one meal a day sometimes at the moment because we've got so many. Mm. And so if you don't have it for breakfast, you might have it for lunch or, you know, we can go through four avocados in a day. And the fact that we've got the avocados just at home here, we actually are planning on picking them soon, but we always leave the small ones on the trees because they're not worth that much. And then you just go out and you just pick a few and then or every other day and then you have multiples coming ripe. So when you need them. I love that so much. I'm going to plan to be there to visit you absolutely when I can do that. <laughs> Where's Jen? She's in the avocado orchard. <laughs> Avocados are quite unique because they have multiple seasons of growth on the tree at the same time. So they've ripe fruit on at the same time as you're setting a crop for the following season. And so you can be growing two crops at the same time. And they're also really interesting so the flowers can open it's very temperature dependent they can open in the morning as male and then close and then open in the afternoon as female it's really hard to to get a good crop of avocados it can be quite challenging because the conditions have to be just right that's why you i don't know if you've heard but sometimes avocados can tend to be quite biennial in their nature and so they'll have on years and off years and that's to do with having not having the balance quite right the returns are not as great for for growers but it's good to have a bit of diversity and if you can get consistency it works out okay on behalf of every avocado lover out there thank you for your efforts no please <laughs> So with that in mind, and I know you you feel quite strongly about sustainability like I do, obviously with climate change, this is becoming, would certainly be having an impact on how you're planning and or trying to plan when things are just getting a little bit more unpredictable. Most definitely. Personally, on our orchards, we do run them as sustainable as, as possible. Some of, One of the things we've done recently is we have cut out the use of weed spray. So we used to like weed spray around and underneath the vines and stuff. And so to start with, it was more challenging, but we use a weed eater and it gets mowed and the big weeds get cut down. Because you're not spraying the soil, killing the weeds, all that organic matter, the worms and stuff and all the roots of all the broadleaf plants, the weeds and stuff on the ground are all just helping to improve the soil diversity. Mm. And I like it because it looks nice and green and I don't really mind that much looks weedy. Some people like them to be nice and neat and mowed and sprayed, but I think it looks more like it should look. Feels better as a grower and feels better as as a consumer. Less is often more. We do a lot of traveling because we don't live on all our orchards. So we have electric vehicles and Mm. solar panels on our home. We don't um, use fossil fuels in that space. We do use tractors as well, though, which do have them. But we use tractors that have low impact on the soil, tractors that have tracks rather than wheels so Mm -hmm. that... um, they don't put too much compaction on the soil. Soil health is really important. And part of being a um, kiwi fruit grower, you have to be able to export. You have to use the GAP system. So that's a worldwide system. It tells you what you can and can't use. The zespri gets feedback 
from the consumers and the customers. So this whole business is trending towards being more sustainable because that's actually what we all would like to be able to live in a sustainable world where we can continue to produce healthy food, get them to the consumers. You know, it's great to do these big changes and it's it's wonderful that you've got sustainability as this core principle. And it's really just about the little everyday things too, right? The little everyday choices that we yeah. make. I used to fret about it, all these big things that are happening and, you know, they were way outside my circle of control. So it's exactly right. It's the small things, the little steps that we can take. And if we're all taking the, those little steps, we will make a difference. Yeah. And if you think about how many Kiwis are coming out of New Zealand into the world, because there is this global requirement, it's nice to know it's not just you doing that work, but it's everybody in your community that's also doing that work. And that's when you can start to look at it and go, okay, wow, this really is a huge ripple effect if we're all making these conscious decisions and you're getting feedback that that's what consumers want. I find that really heartening because I always talk about voting with your wallet as much as you do with anything else. What we choose to buy plays such a huge role in terms of what dictates the market and what's then produced. I think that's something really important for people to understand when they're like, I feel really powerless. I feel helpless. As you said, that sort of overwhelm when things feel so big and there's nothing that you can do. Speaking up, using your voice, definitely voting and playing an active role with keeping your representatives accountable. But a mm. big, huge piece is your consumerism. What are you buying? What are you telling the supply and demand? Because yeah. that exists. It's real. I don't ever want people to underestimate the buying power that they have to dictate the market. I would agree. I would agree because our choices as consumers influence what is produced for us. If people say, I want to eat food that has been produced sustainably, got to market sustainably and, you know, has less plastic, it makes me feel better to eat food like that. And so then as a producer, then you're like, All right, okay, this is what we need to produce because this is what the consumers want to eat. And that's it's real change. I just think it's so cool to be sitting in this space with you talking to a producer because I've done a lot of public speaking for plastics pollution. And, and that's one of the things that there are real people on the other end <laughs> who actually really care. And so it's wonderful to hear that the consumer opinion is getting back to the producer and it is informing the way that things are changing. So I just think it's really helpful for people to hear that that loop exists and it's real. Definitely is real. We've got extended producer responsibility coming in here in Ontario for plastic production in terms yeah. of packaging. And I am very curious to see how this unfolds. <laughs> Do you have anything like that in New Zealand? So what is the, what is it actually? So basically the producers of a product will then be responsible for what happens to the packaging of that product once it is disposed of. We have it in some respects. There are some companies that take back their own products. We don't use plastic bags. The government made a, a law change so we can't use single-use plastics. Mm -hmm. um, there's self-plastic recycling available to us. But, you know, they are still small steps and it's changing the way you think about it. So I guess for me, it's like every time I rinse out a piece of plastic, that single-use plastic, and mm -hmm. I put it in the gene, it's like, yeah, this is, I'm, I'm doing the right thing here because even if it would be easier for me to just put it in the rubbish, 
it's like, no, I'll put it in the soft plastics and then it'll get made into fence posts, which will then be used on orchards. So there's the whole circular economy for you. Absolutely. I love that. And I think people learning more about what actually happens with recycling, we sort of see it as this big fix-all solution, but it's really not. It's a very complicated process. It's a business. If there are not end markets for these things, they do just end up in landfill. So the more that we can learn, so then we can make these really conscious choices when we're buying things. Just a little bit of time can mean that you're living a far more, not only sustainable life, but intentional life in the way that you engage with the environment around you, both locally and knowing that everything that you put out into the world is going to impact somewhere else at a future point in time. How would you want someone, say, in New Zealand on the other side of the world to make a decision that might actually impact you. Like we're all connected. There's no separation. So I think connection is a big part of it. If you don't have that connection, if you don't feel that connection, then it can be really hard to motivate yourself to do these things. So I think the more that people connect with your environment, feel it, it's part of who you are. It's everything. I think that that really helps. Connection to protection is what I always like to say. I like that. I was just thinking when you were saying about making small changes and motivating to make a difference. So in New Zealand, we have a lunch and schools program and often local community organizations or whatnot will create their food for the school. So here in Tupuki, we've got a, a charitable trust that does make the lunches for most of our schools that are funded. My son, he is one of the lunch monitors and he was telling me how he's a food person and he loves food. So he always eats all his lunch. He says to me, now so, so many people just waste so much food, mum. You know, mm. they might have one bite of an apple and then they put it in the, in the waste or, you know, they only eat half of their food and then it's all wasted. And I, so they separate it all out. It all gets composted. But I said to him, so what are you going to do about it? we're in the car and I said, he said to me I don't know yet so I love the way he added that word yet he was thinking about it it's not like he thought oh there's nothing I can do about it I don't know what I'm going to do yet but I, you know I will do something it's not out of my mind obviously mm-hmm. so I thought that was really powerful that people are still thinking about how they can change the world too and the more that we can encourage them to realize that they also hold power and actually have the best ideas because they're way more innovative and imaginative than we are as adults. <laughs> they, they see things that we don't see. Absolutely. Which is really cool. And on the topic of family, I'd love to talk a little bit about what it's like having a family business, working with your husband. And so I now know that the business is called the Jalarna Family Trust. So you've actually been operating this for a decade? Yeah. So what's that experience been like? So initially, we didn't work in the business together. He was still working externally. But after our youngest was born, and we had quite a lot lot of investment We both needed to be actively involved because we wanted to be there to try and prevent things from going wrong, but then the blame would lay with us, not with anyone else. So we would be there to try and steer the ship, so to speak. There's a lot of travel involved, keeping in touch with with our orchard managers and making sure that things are happening when they should and how they should. And we've recently just done flower 
harvesting. So we harvest male kiwifruit flowers and they are milled and turned into pollen so that we can apply it artificially. We got cut short by by the weather because you can't harvest it in the rain, obviously. We got about 350 kilos of flowers and so we'll probably get about three kilos of pollen. Wow. And so then we'll use that next year to help with um, pollination because obviously we use bees and I love bees most of the work but sometimes the weather doesn't play ball and so the bees can't be working because the bees don't work in the wet and but you still got to get the, those flowers pollinated because they're only viable for certain periods of time. During that time it's a daily trip to Gisborne and so that's a six-hour round trip. Wow. Three hours there and three hours back and and also in between time that you've got to charge the car for 12 days it was a daily trip we'd do extra jobs while we were there yeah normally we would alternate so he would do weed eating or accounts or something else while he was there to make the most of the time but mm. i think we work really well together as a team because he's a real detailed oriented person and you know the numbers person and i'm a real person person so relationships and mm-hmm. and i do the accounts and we seem to make a really good team which is really cool we often disagree but then there's some really good discussions on on each other's points and then we sort of come to a decision you know a mutual decision which is great i love that the other part of this horticulture industry that i know that you are a strong advocate for is the empowerment of women within the industry so i would love to hear a little bit more about that and how you've created a little bit of a seed change in your area i became a executive member of the women in horticulture a couple of years ago now it's a a national body and we had a little bit of funding to do some workshops and i said oh i really think we needed to do it in gisborne okay well all right then you do it (laughs) oh okay we ran this workshop and it was about confidence sometimes obviously we don't have confidence to do what we want to do and it comes back to our thoughts and our feelings and and then that moves on to actions and to change and so that was a really good workshop then from that I managed to get a group of women together and we created a women in horticulture tarafati which is Māori for the Gisborne region got a little network there we just have events and a space where you can come and you can be like wow yeah these are my people these women are also working in the horticultural industry they are producers of food for my region they are hard-working women hard-working wahine and and just gives you good feelings eh? because women are half of the workforce we all need to have a space where we can feel empowered because we don't have a whole lot of women leaders in our industry. It's changing slowly. It is changing. In saying that, I was voted onto the kiwifruit vine health, which is the biosecurity of the kiwifruit industry in August of this year, which I'm very excited about. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. And so I actually had a board meeting on Monday, just sort of working out how it all works, learning by doing, which is great. Mm-hmm. And we have a, an independent who is a woman and another a woman on the boards. And the CE of Kiwifruit Vine Health is also a, a woman. So it's definitely changing. There are organisations out there just to try and help promote. Because I found that sometimes it's a bit hard to see where you're going. 
How do you find your way forward? Sometimes you just need a little push. A couple of things come to mind. First, in preparing for this interview, I did a bit of research online. I just want to acknowledge you for being brave enough to share about this internal voice, the self-sabotage, the inner critic, especially within professional capacity to have that conversation. I believe that vulnerability is strength. And when we lead by example, we empower others to do the same, to have these really open, honest conversations about what does that actually look like, feel like, and how do we nurture spaces where we can be having these conversations? And to me, it's funny that we were talking about the word nurturing earlier in this interview because it's coming up again, which makes total sense to me. When I look at your life and both what you're doing in nurturing good values within your children, you're nurturing these beautiful avocados and these kiwi fruit to go out into the world and and then further nurture through nutrition. But then you're also really nurturing this space for women to be seen, heard, respected within the industry and to come forward with everything that they are As you said, it can be really hard to navigate the way forward when we don't have those spaces. Just really wanted to take this time to to acknowledge you and to say thank you because it takes a lot. And even though it may not have felt like bravery at the time, that's what it is. To be able to say, I'm doing these things and at the same time, I'm battling this internal voice that's telling me I can't. And I think once people start to hear that, they realize, oh, it's not just me. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) maybe I can also do these things. And so I think leadership comes in many different shapes and forms. To me, when we speak about what we're actually feeling in our inner world, that is leadership because it is creating the space and encouraging others to do the same. Wow. Thank you, Dan. When you talk about that, it makes me remember how recently how I've been discussing failure with one of my children because we remember the rosy stuff. We don't remember the the stuff that didn't go so well. But more often than not, we fail. But it's normally more. More than you succeed, you fail. And learning from that failure, the biggest learning that we've discussed with him is that you get up again and that you try again and not to be frightened that it will happen again because we learn from those spaces and and it's been so beautiful to see him learning from some of his his perceived failures I don't even think there were failures but it's mm-hmm. not what I think it's what he thinks and yep. you know when I think back to a few years ago when I put myself out for a role on another board and I was not successful how I felt about that I was disappointed but I was not disappointed to the point where I was never going to try again Mm -hmm. I just needed to change tact and that's basically when I decided okay well I need to get into the space where I can make a difference and so what am I passionate about how can I make a difference and that's when this woman in horticulture role popped up that's a space where I can like you say show leadership and maybe help navigate the way for others because working together there is more strength navigating the way forward I appreciate what you had to say, Jen. I really do. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you heard it because I think that's really important. Sometimes we put ourselves out there and we we don't hear back. Sometimes that can once again feed into that loop. But I think it's really important that across the board, whatever industry it is, the more, and this goes not just for women, but for men or whatever you decide to identify as, for all of us to just be a little bit more to pick on one of your three core values, your golden rules for your family, a little bit more honest about what we're actually going through, what we're actually experiencing, what we actually want to see and feel in our lives. Because I think if we were all a little bit more honest, I don't think that there would be such a world of competition and striving and achievement. I think if we actually allowed ourselves to sit with our discomfort and really look at it rather than distracting ourselves, for the most part at its core, everybody just wants to feel better. We just want to feel well. So for me, if we can have leadership like this in every industry, and not just within careers, but at the the family level, like you're doing with your kids, in your friendship groups, just across all forms that life takes, I just think that the world would be a much more connected place. And like we were talking earlier, connection to protection, the more connected we feel to one another, to nature, to the experiences that we've had both, whether you would label them good or bad, right? Success or failure, whatever you want to call them. The more that we feel connected to all of it, the more alive we are and the better we feel. It's beautiful. Seeing other people succeed and happy, I find for me, it leads to internal happiness. Like I feel I get the goosebumps when I see people. Oh, yes, you did what you wanted to do. Yes, mm. you were successful. You know, you're really happy in your relationship or you managed to get up that mountain. You you did what you wanted to do. It makes gives me the internal tingles when you see when I see other people that I love and care about succeeding and other people that I know that are having success. It's just, a, you know, watching them on their journey. That's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's such a healthy way to look at it, right? Because we do naturally, I think as we're growing up, compare ourselves to other people. And then we get stuck in these loops of, oh my gosh, they're they're so much further along than I am, or they've got that great relationship and that's what I want, or they've got that great career and that's what I want. And I heard this great thing the other day. I can't remember who it was, but they said, every time that you see someone either experiencing, doing, or being what you want, Instead of seeing it from a space of lack, sadness, or feeling FOMO, or feeling like, oh, I don't have that, can you see it as driftwood? Can you see it as, I'm seeing that because it's coming to me? Wow, that's beautiful. I just thought it was a really cool perspective shift, which life the universe and everything, isn't it just mm-hmm. shifting our perspective? I don't know. We're going to answer that in like a couple of minutes. <laughs> but the one thing that I just wanted to pull on, because I I didn't know about this, but I saw it on your LinkedIn, that you've been learning. Tereo? I was going to be brave and I was going to try. Yeah, it. Oh, here we go. Tereo? 
Well done. Today I'm holding, yes. Okay. So can you tell us a little bit more about why you decided to learn the Maori language and what that's been like for you? Te aha, te mihi nui o te ao. He tangata, he tangata, he tangata. What is the most important thing in the world? It is the people. The people, the people. The Māori language is an official language of New Zealand, so we have three official languages, English, New Zealand Sign Language, and Te Reo Māori. My children learn Te Reo at school. It's part of their curriculum. It's part of everyday life, understanding the tikanga, understanding the Māori worldview, just became really important to me because it is a huge part of where I live. Like I say before about, you know, it's 50% of the population of females. We need to nurture that. I'm not sure exactly what the percentage of people in New Zealand identify as Māori, but it's large. And something that I really feel connected to is the Māori worldview is people are closely connected to the land and, and nature. And kaitiakitanga is based on the idea of of humans being part of the natural world, which we are all connected. Learning the language, working on speaking as well as I can. I get very nervous and it's a it's something that I feel I need to keep working on, but I am making progress. I feel really strongly that it's something that I wanted to do to gain more of an understanding. Well, I think that's beautiful. And I think that that nervousness is normal. Anybody who's ever learned a language that's not their mother tongue would feel that that little nervousness when they yeah. go, go to use it, right? <laughs> Listening to you talk about it makes a lot of sense to me. I think it ties into your approach as as a grower and a producer of food, as a a nurturer of your fellow human beings and of the land, it sounds like it's a natural step in deepening of your human experience of where you live and where you thrive. So I'm excited to maybe learn a little bit from you going forward (laughs) when we have our phone calls. (laughs) Well, I'm happy to, to share as I learn and trudge my way through it. The fact that the the Māori way of thinking that ownership is temporary, we're just here for a, such a brief period of time. And basically we, we're responsible to care for the land mm-hmm. while we are here and to leave it in a good a space as we can for the future generations. That's that whole connection, that whole being caretaker, the sakaitiaki. Yeah, seeing ourselves as stewards rather than owners. Yeah. We're just little pop-ups. That's all we are. Yeah. This land has been here for many, many, many generations before us and the ancestors have cared for this land and we need to continue to care for the land for future generations so that they can thrive. Beautiful. And on that note, I would love to hear about what cause you've chosen for our recreation donation this month. The cause that I've chosen, it's called Gumboot Friday. It's an organization, a New Zealand organization that helps young Kiwi kids have access to counseling. In New Zealand, we have a high suicide rate. Kids obviously sometimes struggle to be able to express their emotions or find someone that they can talk to. Mm. And so having this independent space where they can they can go and they can get access 
to a counsellor that they can get access to help when they need it. I think they get very little government funding, if any, but it's just so vital to have space for our young people to be able to talk to somebody if they need to and to actually get them back on track or heading in the direction that they want to head to. They have this event once once a year, it's called Gumboot Friday, So, and uh, you, you wear gumboots to school. So gumboots are very, I guess I could call them Wellington boots. or Yeah, wellies. Um, in New Zealand they're called gumboots, and so you wear gumboots to school and you, or workplace and you, you give a donation and it goes towards this organisation which helps young people dealing with depression and mental health challenges. It's just like walking through the mud every day. I was just thinking about one of my previous guests on the podcast. He had this great line and he said, everyone's just trudging through their own mud. So, so you got to put your gambits on to walk through the mud. These kids can get access to someone to talk to, to help them walk through the mud. Oh, that's so beautiful, Lierna. Thank you so much for choosing that cause. I'm really looking forward to supporting it. Thank you, Jen. I appreciate it. Okay. So you knew this was coming. I did. <laughs> One more question before we are done and we go back to our very different seasons. As we walk outside and take a deep breath, mine will be slightly chillier than yours, but equally as refreshing. Mm -hmm. But before we go, I would love to know, what do you think is the meaning and purpose of life, the universe and everything? I think it is all about connection. The connections that we create and the feelings that are associated with these connections can have an impact on how strong the connection is. So things that have strong feelings about can create stronger connections, but it's about going through life, making positive connections with people and our environment and ourselves. It's just about connections because we make them every day. And it's about working on the connections that make us smile. It's working on the connections that make us feel good. It's keeping those connections with those friends and those loved ones, reaching out to someone you might not have spoken to for a while and both really happy that you connected, reconnected. And you get so much from those connections and those feelings. And I think that's the meaning of life and the universe and everything is to create connections, maintain connections and enjoy our connections. What a stunning end to the episode. Thank you so much, Learna. Thank you so much, Jen. That was a real privilege. Oh, as it was for me as well. Thank you so, so much. This month's recreation donation is in support of Gumboot Friday. As you now know from exploring with Liarna and I in this episode, this organization offers free counseling for any young person in New Zealand, age 25 and under. Their free counseling platform provides a bridge to youth in need by breaking down barriers of cost and wait times experienced by seeking help through the public mental health service. Their vital work ensures that the rising need for young Kiwis in distress get the mental health support they deserve. Whether you can volunteer your time, money, or your voice, we hope you will head over to our Patreon page to find out the different ways you can support their unique version of recreation for the world. Please take the time to let us know what the stories we explored in this episode meant to you. 
And if you do take action to support this month's cause, thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Recreation to Recreation. If you or someone you know has a unique and inspiring story to tell, make sure to reach out so we can share it with the world. Until next time, keep happy, keep healthy, and keep exploring.